Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Barbara Fletcher, associate pastor, as she begins. I thought about that baby shower and thought about the context of this sermon. I'm just having this question in my mind. I wonder how many of you have ever been to a baby shower. If you've ever attended a baby shower, how about if you stand up? If you've ever been to one, anytime ever been to a baby shower. So let's see who's standing up. I see lots of women and a few men. Um, I'm guessing you men went to showers for your own children or your grandchildren, right? You probably didn't go to showers for Susie Q down the street or something like that. Um, But lots of women go to baby showers. And men, you can be thankful that Steve Fowler isn't standing up for preaching because he would tease you mercilessly because that's just the way he's wired. But I'm not wired that way. And so I just cheer you on uh, for getting excited with all of us about uh, the birth of children. Showers. Uh, they in- include things like invitations that have, over the years, changed. It used to be that all the shower invitations, at least I would ever get, came in the mail. Uh, and now they can come by email there, or they're evites, or they're on Facebook, and they come in all different ways and all different varieties. Um, and when you go to a shower, there are usually presents given and games played, and it's quite a celebratory event because it is an occasion of great joy. And uh, for some reason, I thought about the text for this weekend of text about the shepherds and text about the magi in the context of a shower. Uh, God invited them to what was certainly no ordinary baby shower. Uh, The invitations that were sent to that shower were completely God-sized invitations. Nothing like a little something you or I might get in the mail. And uh, the people that he invited to that shower were different from people that are normally invited to showers today. Uh, Everybody on the guest list was a man. And so these were uh, men coming to, if you will, a baby shower for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I want to uh, show us the first group of men that God invited, if you will, to come and meet my son. The Bus family, didn't they do a fabulous job reading uh, this story earlier in the service? They are so darling. Uh, Amazing, actually. But reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, this is the first group, a group of shepherds. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. There's the invitation. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. There's the invitation. An angel appears, and the glory of the Lord shines round about him. What an invitation. But more interesting to me than the invitation is the people group to whom God extended the invitation. When you think about these shepherds, you realize that they were the very first ones to know that the Son of God was coming to planet Earth. 
very first ones. But what you may or may not know about those shepherds is that in their culture, they were the low rung of the class ladder. They were the social outcasts. They were um, petty thieves, many of them, and so they were very disrespected by the people. They were people that obviously didn't have much of a chance to have a shower, so they were unclean, unclean. In fact, um, the church, if you will, the temple, the Jewish religion, treated them as ceremonially unclean. It wasn't biblical. The Bible, the laws of the Old Testament never said anything about treat those shepherds as unclean. But there were laws in the time of Jesus' birth that were written by um, religious leaders of some kind that treat them as unclean. So they couldn't come in many of the rooms of the temple and people treated them generally as outcasts. They had no education. They were disrespected. They were disregarded socially, economically, and spiritually on the outside on the outside a rejected people group and they received the first invitation very interesting so i've tried to think about in our culture who might they represent who would we see as culturally unacceptable people at the near the bottom of a social ladder people that we generally find uncomfortable or avoid or even disrespect? Would it be the homeless men living under the bridge who, like the shepherds, sure wouldn't have a place to go bathe very much? Or would it be perhaps people with criminal records? Disrespect them, don't trust them, don't hang out with them. In fact, don't even let them have jobs. Or would it be addicts, addicts of any kind or every kind? Well, we avoid them because, oh boy, that's just pretty messy stuff. And I'm not saying any of this avoidance is right. I'm not saying any of it is good. But I think it's a painful reality for these people groups in our culture. And they, in many ways, could be paralleled to the social outcast shepherds who received the very first invitation to meet the Son of God. It was a nice invitation, an amazing invitation. And yet, it's possible there was a huge caution in those shepherds because, wow, will we be accepted when we get there? I mean, most people won't even be around us. Where, where Will it be in a temple? Because maybe the baby would come to the temple. We can't even go in parts of the temple. And how gracious of God to reassure them, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. You see, God's pursuing these shepherds. No barriers to keep them from coming to the shower. This baby, this child is going to be in a manger. Well, they're comfortable with stables. They're comfortable with mangers. And so these social outcasts, the shepherds, receive this amazing invitation to go and meet God's son. And as if to uh, nail it down, God comes in with a second invitation, and it comes with angels. And it says in verse 13, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared, with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. 
God, not content with just one angel in the glory of the Lord around him inviting these shepherds, sends literally an army of angels into the sky to seal the invitation. I want you, social outcasts, to come and meet my son and worship him. And so these shepherds RSVP, yes, and they take off for Bethlehem. And the scriptures tell us that they were completely overjoyed. And then when they get there, they are so overwhelmed by the presence of God in that place and the reality of God in that place that the scriptures tell us when they leave, they cannot keep their mouth shut. And they tell everybody they know about this Jesus who has been born to become king of the Jews. So that's the first group of men that came to the shower, if you will. The second group of men that came to the shower were the Magi. We find their story recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew in the second chapter. And this is what the Word of God says, Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. So the second God-sized invitation is a star, a new star that appears in the sky. And it went to a group of men called the Magi, or called the kings, or called the wise men. Well, who were they? What were they like? Well, they were highly educated, very sophisticated, uh, very elite group of people. They either lived in palaces or very fine estates because they were wealthy people. The absolute opposite end of the spectrum from the shepherds. Fascinatingly enough, they were not Jews. You might think that God would invite only Jews to come and meet his son. But no, from the very beginning, God makes it clear That my son, my savior, is for the world, not just for the Jewish people. And so it is that these magi receive this invitation in the form of a star to come and meet God's son. But how would they know what it meant? How would they know the significance of that star? Well, they would know the significance of the star because the Old Testament is filled with prophecies about what will happen at the time of Jesus' birth. Well, in fact, it's filled with 333 prophecies about Jesus himself coming ultimately. But a number of them are specifically, very intentionally, about the birth of his son. One of them is recorded for us in the book of Numbers, And it would be something that was apparently known by these men. And it goes like this. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A star will come. A scepter, which is something a king holds, will rise. And the combination of star, king, star, king. And it clicks in these men's minds because they are astronomers as well. They understand the skies. They see the significance of this star. This prophecy was well known, as were many other prophecies. And one that was particularly well known was a prophecy given to Daniel. And Daniel was told in his era that 
in um, a certain number of years, 490 to be precise, 490 years, um, the Redeemer will come. The Rescuer will come. A new King of the Jews will come. Well, that time had arrived. And so it was that people were on alert all over the Orient, all over the Middle East, on alert. Is it time for the king of the Jews? Because you see, after all, there had been kings of the Jews in the past. There had been David. There had been Solomon. There had been Hezekiah. There had been many others. And they were uh, movers and shakers and conquerors and great kings. So they were on alert. And in fact, the Roman historian Suetonius says this, they're spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. A Roman historian says everybody was watching. Somebody from Judea is going to rise up and rule the world. And so it was that these magi, these what would be the equivalent of corner office guys today, CEOs, very elite, very um, wealthy people, began a pilgrimage because, you see, uh, scholars believe that they lived either in Iran. Most scholars believe they lived in the region of Iran. Others think they lived in southern Arabia. But it's pretty immaterial where they lived because either way, it was 770 or so miles from southern Arabia up to Jerusalem. It was almost 900 miles over from Iran. So it was a long pilgrimage that these men undertook. So convinced they were that this star meant come and meet the king of the Jews. Well, when they got to Jerusalem, they didn't go straight to Bethlehem because they apparently didn't know of the prophecy about Bethlehem. But they went to Jerusalem, uh, capital city, and they went straight to a king because if you want to find another king, you'll go to the king of that area. So they went to King Herod and said... um, Where is this one that's been born king of the Jews? Well, Herod immediately hits alarm inside. All of his alarm buttons go off inside of his head. And he says, "Uh, king of the Jews, what king is that? And they say, well, this star has been in the sky. And we believe the king of the Jews has been born and is here somewhere. Would you know where he might be? And King Herod says, well, uh, let me find out. I'll talk to the religious leaders and find out if they have some clue about this. Because you see, the last thing Herod wanted was any threat to his throne. Herod was um, cruel, manipulative, a terrible king. Uh, He, in fact, was so protective of his throne and any possible threat to it that he had had his uh, favorite wife killed as well as two of his sons. So he was, there was nothing that would keep him from killing off anybody that might become a king of the Jews. It was in his very vested interest, he thought, to find out the details. So he talks to the religious leaders who come and say, well, we did our research and we've looked it up and uh, we found this uh, prophecy in Micah 5.2 and it says that uh, this person, this baby will be born in Bethlehem. So Herod reports that back to these three kings, these three wise men, these magi. Bethlehem. And if you find anybody, come back and tell me. Because he wants to get rid of such a person. So these magi leave Jerusalem. 
And as they leave Jerusalem and head southeast toward Bethlehem, which is only about five miles outside of Jerusalem, a star, the star again clearly leads the way. And it says in the scriptures, they were completely overjoyed when they saw the star again. And they followed it to the place where they found Jesus. I have to wonder about what they expected when they got there. I kind of don't think they expected to go to a stable. I kind of think they were looking around for a prestigious house or maybe even a small palace. Maybe they expected to see a 12-year-old or something sitting on a throne. But they ended up where the star took them, and it was to a stable, and it was to a manger, and it was to an infant. And they didn't turn away and say, oh, it's just a baby. It's just a baby. They were in the presence of God, and they knew it. And the scriptures tell us that immediately they bowed down, and they worshiped. Because if you're in the presence of the living God, you're compelled to worship, and they were. And the scriptures tell us that, you know, they didn't give what you or I might give at a baby shower, a blanket or a little outfit or something like that. They gave amazingly valuable gifts of gold and incense and myrrh, tremendous value in that culture. They were compelled to worship. They were compelled to give. To experience Jesus, even as a tiny newborn, um, changes a person. I mean, those shepherds, those social outcasts, met Jesus and they turned into evangelists. They were rejected by people who are going to people to tell them all about this Jesus. And these kings, these wealthy men who normally are served by other people or to, to whom other people bow, are so impacted by the presence of the living God that they find themselves bowing. Being in the presence of God changes people. And it's just so fabulous, isn't it, that God invited, the very first people invited were social outcasts. And super elite. And so he says to you and me, everybody, I came for everybody. And he's still drawing all kinds of people to meet his son today. I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but we have a ministry here in the church um, that we call the um, storage unit ministry. Not a very fancy name, but it's accurate. Um, uh, it is this. We store a bunch of furniture um, in a storage area, and we, when we hear about someone uh, in very difficult circumstances trying to set up a home, um, often it'll be single moms or other uh, women like that that are just really struggling. Um, we'll get a call at the church, and um, the storage unit ministry men will deliver. could be beds, could be tables, could be anything that they might need that we presently have available. So I received this email um, a week ago about one of the deliveries. This is the story that accompanied it. Last week, a single mom 
that fled an abusive boyfriend in another from another state was walking in a park in the park in the Highland neighborhood and two people with a dog stopped to visit with her they go to Salem Alliance they took her over to the Broadway Commons building to show her around and kind of tell her all about the church she indicated as they visited that she needed a dresser and they said we'll call the church This last week, this young lady received a dresser with a mirror, and she said she feared that her ex-boyfriend would stalk her and asked us not to give out her address. But we gave her a Bible, and we gave her a welcome brochure, and we invited her to come to church. Because God is still pursuing people, pursuing a broken young woman, a very frightened young woman, not with a star in the sky, not with angelic hosts, but with, Kind people in a park and the gift of furniture for her little apartment. God is still pursuing people. He's pursuing people at the medical clinic week in and week out. And I received this story just three weeks ago from a young woman in our church who talks about one of the recipients of medical care at the clinic. She says this, this morning my neighbor um, called to tell me a cool story about the clinic. Uh, She said that her brother-in-law, who has had Crohn's disease for many, many years, went to the clinic. He stood in line and got to see a doctor. He got some sort of referral and had surgery at Silverton Hospital just a day or so ago. The surgeon said he had never seen intestines so messed up, but that this surgery would help for a long time, so much so that this brother-in-law may never be on medication again. His sister-in-law says that he looks amazing. She said his color is better than she's seen it in years. She said he was optimistic and hopeful for the first time in years. She said he just went on and on about Salem Alliance and how they've given him a new life and that he feels blessed by God, even though she says he doesn't really know Jesus yet. So God is pursuing. God is pursuing this man with medical help with doctors that are willing to take referrals to their offices and even give free surgeries. God is pursuing people to draw them to himself. Last night I got to talk with Kelly, whose rose is up here, and she is a young woman dumbfounded by the way God has pursued her and that she gets to be in the kingdom of God. And so God uses a class to pursue her. There was a woman from Michigan who came to church about a month ago. Uh, Steve Fowler was preaching that weekend and preached on Nicodemus, John chapter 3. And in in the sermon, he talked about what it is to really come to Christ and know what spiritual life actually is. And uh, this woman came up to him after the service just so excited and thrilled and, and amazed because she said, you know, I've been going to church for a lot of years, but I never got it until now. And so God is pursuing a woman that lives in Michigan that comes to visit somebody in Salem and says, I I just felt like I needed to go to Salem Alliance this morning, and now I know why. Because God is a God that pursues people. Last weekend, I went to to visit our newcomers' small group and uh, meets over in Broadway Commons and was visiting with that small group. And one of the questions I asked them was, so, you know, when you came here, didn't this place feel awfully big? And did you feel intimidated? And why did you stay? 
And um, they kind of laughed because they had felt probably a lot of that. Um, And some said, well, we stayed because we really felt God here. We stayed because we um, got connected to this group and that's really helped. And we're now going to get in another group. And one woman um, who said, you know, I came a year ago and I came from a really, really um, messed up background that she didn't explain, but uh, it was clear that it was a, a very broken place. And she said, I walked in the church and I sat down and um, the worship began and there were people sitting all around me, but I felt like it was just God and me, just God and me. And I got to worship him as if there was nobody else in the place. And that's the way she said I feel every time I walk in on the weekend. Because God is still pursuing his people and sometimes he'll use a sermon and sometimes he use worship and sometimes he use furniture and sometimes he just plain... Uh, uses amazing things like a whole medical treatment that ends up in a surgery in a completely changed and healed life. But God is still pursuing his people. And as we come into the Christmas season this year, I, I, I wonder how you feel as we look at the Magi and the shepherds and they're just overwhelmed with worship and overwhelmed with joy. And How goes it with your soul this Christmas? How goes it with your soul? Do you say, uh, oh, I'm really full of joy? I'm excited? Or do you say, you know, I'm, I just don't feel very joyful this year. I just, it's Christmas again, and there's a lot to do, and I'm busy, and I'm worried, and there's a lot of financial issues. Or Have these things robbed your joy? Has some relational hurt robbed your joy? Has memory of Christmas's past robbed your joy? Or maybe it's grief and sadness of the loss of a loved one this year that's robbed your joy. And I sure remember that. And Christmas has passed in my life when in my 20s my mom died suddenly and it was so shocking. And Christmas was like an ordeal to get through. Um, and Christmas songs, it was hard to even sing. Nine years ago when I had my first Christmas after my husband's sudden death, it's like, Wow. Faith was intact, hope was intact, confidence in God was intact, but joy was light years away from my heart. And if that's where you are, uh, I get it, and so does God. But you know, slowly but surely, God caused joy to seep back into my soul. And I'm absolutely convinced he wants to do that for every single one of us. And so I would encourage you to invite him. God, let joy come back. Let joy rise up in me. And I would really strongly encourage us all to give ourselves a gift of coming to the Advent prayer path. Just to come close to Jesus. And have some quiet space. And find like the Magi or perhaps like the shepherds, um, our hearts too are compelled to worship. And maybe a joy seeps in like we haven't felt in a while. You know, through this whole sermon series this fall that will continue through the winter and spring on the life of Christ as seen through the eyes of all kinds of people, we've asked ourselves a question at the end of each sermon and each week. So what would Nicodemus say about Jesus? What do you think John the Baptist would say about Jesus? What would the widow with her two mites say or the boy with two fish say? Or this week, 
What do you think the Magi or the shepherds might say to us about Jesus? Well, I think the Magi might say, um, when you come close to Jesus, you'll find yourself on your knees as well. And I think the shepherds might say to us, People might reject you, but Jesus never will. Because those were their experiences. Shall we pray? Father, how we thank you. You're the God that uh, not only doesn't reject anybody, but the God that pursues us relentlessly, surely, deeply, honestly. And Father, how we thank you that you're the God that sent your Son that this Christmas we might truly um, find in our hearts an amazed uh, amazement that, wow, the Son of God came to earth. He didn't have to leave heaven, but he came to earth for us. God, we ask that you would increase our wonder this Christmas, increase our joy this Christmas. Give us hearts that are compelled to worship. For we ask in the matchless name of Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Barbara Fletcher, Associate Pastor at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m. and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.